Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a brand new Monday edition of Flyers Daily, our last one of the month of August. We'll head into uh, September, if you can believe it, for next week's episode when our weekly guest joins us from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It's Bill Meltzer. Bill, you ready for September? I am. Um, I've been ready for, for, for September. It's, uh, you know, it feels like forever since, uh, since last season ended already, you know, it's, uh, it, summer, summertime has been nice and whatnot, but it's, uh, it feels like it's past time already, honestly. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready to get things going. And it seems like Bill, the, uh, the hockey media community is waking up a little bit as well. We got some news, obviously last week of the Austin Matthews extension. What'd you think of that extension? It was quite lucrative obviously yeah i which you know which you do it would be given a stature in the league um you know it's uh i mean toronto had to do it mm-hmm. obviously you know it, um you know it, it's it's going to be interesting to see going forward now how they i mean the, a, a big part of you build you build the nucleus and you build a contender and then sometimes you have to be able to do a, a lot of gymnastics cap wise to be able to put those final pieces in place. Um, you know, there, there are still some question marks with Toronto and uh, I, you know, I guess it remains to be seen how, how they do that. But well, with Matthews, yeah, they had to do whatever it takes and then they'll adjust what they need to adjust, I guess. But that, that can be hard sometimes because, you know, when you're, when you're up against the cap and you're trading from a position of weakness, it's hard to get full value sometimes too. So uh, it's, uh, you know, n- new regime there. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see how all that works out. But it, I mean, the, you know, you see the numbers and I, and your eyes spin, but I, I guess, I guess that was to be expected. It was going to be a pretty, pretty darn big deal. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that won a hard trophy, scored 60 goals in a season a couple of years ago and, you know, drafted in, I don't even want to use the word developed by them, but, you know, has been a fixture there. And obviously the main offensive cog, you know, part of the issue is what has he done in the playoffs? And we've talked about this, Bill, a lot of times players aren't great playoff performers until they are. (laughs) And a lot of times it's propelled by one or two great playoff runs, as was the case with, you know, a lot of players around the NHL. But the question is, and I saw this kind of being kicked around Kevin Kurz, who, works for the uh, athletic and covers the Islanders. Now was covering San Jose for a while was with the flyers for a while. It was kind of batting this around, you know, how much of a player's contract and value is playoff performing because, you know, that's ultimately when it matters. You need good players just to make the playoffs in today's game with half the league making it half not, but how much value part of the equation is playoff performance. And, And the other part of it is sometimes it's timing. It's when you're available when the contract's up, where the league is at, and all of those things. So, you know, playoff performing, obviously, I think is a huge element to a player's value, ultimately. It is. Uh, as you said, a lot, a lot of his timing. Uh, you know, I, I think back to 2011-12, Claude Giroux against uh, Pittsburgh and, and the Devils. Uh, but particularly that Pittsburgh series. I mean, he was just... It was it was like a it was like a video game the rate he was scoring at right yeah, six and, point game in that run right yeah yeah uh, every every game was high scoring and yeah you know, especially that Pittsburgh series um and and 
you know, at the start of his career, uh, scoring a, an overtime goal in the Stanley Cup Finals, and you know, he put a big playoff numbers early in his career. And then the second half of his career in Philadelphia, he struggled for points in the playoffs. I, I don't think it was that he became less clutch or less able. It was just how those series worked out. Sometimes there were injuries involved. I mean, I, I think that um, obviously playoff production counts, you know, big, big time when they figure in contracts. But I, th- I think sometimes some of it's just a matter of the luck and timing of it. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, one matchup might be more favorable to you than another, than another one. And, yeah. you know, in, in Matthew's case, uh, just, just the way the division alignment is, you know, they're, they're just just playing the division they're in. There's tough matchups every series there. How many, how many times did they play Tampa Bay? Right. Yeah, so it's, uh, camp every year. <laughs> I mean, those are, those are really, those, you know, compared to what, uh, you know, matchups that some other players have had. So there's a, there's a ton of factors involved, but I guess ultimately you do, you just look at the bottom line sometimes. Too. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're dealing with a GM now and Danny Briere, who was a very good regular season player, but for some reason, when the, yeah. the light shined the brightest, he was at a different level and just executed and, and got great production as a playoff performer. Bill, you know, I, I saw this tweet by Anthony DeGrazio, um, and I thought it was really interesting. And this is what I want to talk about in this episode. It's uh, at Ant DeGrazio. He said, Wayne Simmons is in my top three favorite flyers of all time. I'm not sure how old Ant is. He's definitely younger than you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when I think of favorite flyers, you know, I go back to when I was a kid, you know, and Pelly and, Bernie Perrant and, you know, all those years, and obviously the Lindros years and LeClaire and all that. So it got me really kind of thinking about, you know, favorite player, not best player. There's a difference between best players of a certain, you know, era. But it got me thinking of the last 20 years, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of my top three favorite players. Now, it's a little different. It's a little harder in my, in my case and yours because we've covered the game for much of that 20 years. I've been in the media since, God, I think 94, um, as in some shape or form on radio and stuff. So it's a little different. But who are my favorite flyers in the last 20 years? So I guess you're going back to the 03, 04 season and till now. And I'm really hard-pressed to kind of figure out who my favorite guys are. Who, who are the guys that kind of stuck out to you as guys you just like the way they played? Like your favorite player of all time is Mark Howe. And there's yeah. so many reasons for that beyond him being a great player. But who are the guys in that last 20 years that really pop out to, to you in your mind? You know, I, I could go back to when the, the big lockout ended and when Peter Forsberg came here. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, and I, he, I guess he could qualify for a, for a period of time as being both the best and the most fun to watch. But just, just watching Peter Forsberg at work, you know, I mean, he was just such such a magician, and you know, he was he was just fun to watch. And unfortunately, injuries uh, came into play before too long. But that that first couple months of the season, when he was leading the NHL and scoring at thanks at Thanksgiving, and that playoff series against Buffalo that went six games, and it went six games because of Peter Forsberg. Otherwise, the Flyers might have been swept by the Sabres in that series. He was he was a, a one man wrecking crew. Um, and there have been other players I've liked a lot too. Uh, Gagne, um, I, I, you know, if you play a little less, I try, I really like Ruslan Fedotenko. 
mm-hmm. while, while he was here in the in the early two thousands. Um, but you know, Forsberg is a player who jumps jumps out to me as just a player I just love to watch. Obviously, uh, guys like Giroux, um, uh, Pronger, you know, Pronger was just uh, a fun player, just just a you know, just an impact guy, right? And yeah, uh, yeah he, he you know you never you never knew. Uh, on a given game, uh, uh, you know what kind of impact he might make on that night. But I mean, he was uh, a player of every, consequence every night. I felt every like. night, yeah, every yeah. every night he would do something, right? Yeah. Whether it was a big a big hit, a defensive stop, um, you know, just getting under somebody's skin. I mean, he was he was he was he was a player you, you enjoyed following. Now, you know, players you enjoy covering, you know, from from a media side of it. Um, there have, been, there have been any number uh, on the current team. I really enjoy covering uh, Scott Lawton, for example. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, but I, I would say the the number one guy was pull up a chair and just listen to what he has to say. It's Mike Knubel. Because he yeah. always he, he always had such a cerebral approach to the game. Always had something interesting to say, uh, some good observations. Um you know, in semi-recent vintage, you would ask Matt Niskin in a question, and he wouldn't answer right away because he was thinking the question through. And then when he answered, he would give you a really thorough, well-thought-out answer. Those are the players I really enjoy from a media standpoint. So I, I, to me, those would be some of the guys. And from, from a goalie standpoint, um, I, I enjoyed Steve Mason. I really did. Yeah, I did too. At the end, you could tell it was – it was headed where it was headed yeah. um, and it was time, but for a period of time, yeah, I mean, he was, he, he had some really good years here and he was a guy that, you know, could talk as well. And, you know, the goalies always get that, that rap of being, you know, it's such a bizarre voodoo position that all goalies are weird and you can't get a good conversation out of them. And then Brisgolov came along and like, you know, perpetuated <laughs> yeah. the narrative of course, yeah. by yeah. just being frankly an idiot, but uh Nonetheless, I mean, Carter obviously is a very good talker as well, mature beyond his years. You know, I, I, some of the guys I look at that I've really enjoyed, you know, just watching the way, like I, I loved watching Kimo Timonen because oh, that right. diminutive right. stature and just, right. you know, just so strong, lower body strong. And, you know, as a short guy myself, I identify with that. And I, to me, just the way he thought the game and the positions he put his body in, and the way he defended the blue line, I thought was always brilliant. And his gaps and and the way he could, even being small, really make a guy think twice about how he was going to enter the zone and therefore advantage chemo. Pronger was an easy one. I mean, he was the only guy that came out and talked to me after they lost the cup final and came mm-hmm. on the radio uh, in 2010. Uh, but but chemo is one of those guys. Um, I, I, you mentioned Simone Gagne. And I just... You know, his all-star year, he just became such a really good player. He was never a superstar, but I always liked the way that he played the game as well. And then, you know, I, I like, you know, this isn't, this is, people will say this is a kiss up or a suck up or whatever, but the way Briere played, because again, so diminutive yeah. in stature, yeah. but so vicious in the way he had to play the game to create space for himself. And I've often said as well, even before he was the GM or we came back and worked for the team that he's been my favorite guy to cover just because to, yeah. to your point about some of those, you know, like Niskanen, you always got a really honest 
not a soundbite answer out of Danny Briere. And, and there yep. was something that he did that I thought was like the ultimate sign of respect was when you get done an interview, he'd say, thank you. And you use your name. Like to yes. me, that, that's just a respectful person. You know, some players, they just turn and walk away. I get it. They're in the middle of a game or whatever, or post game. But there, there's always been something about the way he played the game and, and the way he carried himself as well. But, you know, we didn't even mention Wayne Simmons and, you know, Anthony DeGrazio in his tweet did. And he's one of those guys that fits the prototype of Philadelphia and spilled it here. His game has unfortunately left him at this point. He was never a great skater, but he found a way. And this city was perfect for him, wasn't it? Um, it sure was. He, he was uh, the one of those guys you call the prototypical flyer. Um, you know, for, for a long time, you know, it ended up changing late in his career. He's a guy who went straight from junior hockey to the NHL, and and remember he was remember he wasn't drafted his first year of eligibility either. Um, he he went as a 19 year old in the draft, um, and just some of the some of the stories about Wayne, you know, when he was coming up with the LA Kings of, of literally sleeping in the parking lot so he wouldn't miss the start of development his first development camp, you know, I mean, I mean one of the best teammates uh, to a man They'll, you know, people who played with Wayne will tell you that there was, they're hard pressed to think of a guy who's been a better teammate. Um, and when I, one of the hard, when the hard conversations had to be had, you know, Wayne didn't mind being the bad cop either. He, he was a leader in that room um, of the toughness side of it uh, as a flyer in his best years, Every year he's going to get to 25 to 30 goals. Um, it's skinny as he looks. He's strong as an ox, and no one wants no one would want to fight the guy. Um, never, never forget the the game when the Flyers clinched the playoff spot um, right before Ed Snyder passed away. And before the game, um, you know, Simmer said that this game is devoted to Ed Snyder, and then he went out and proved it by scoring two goals in that game. Yeah. And, uh, that's one. That's one of my favorite memories uh, with Wayne Simmons. Um, I, I had the the honor of presenting him the Yannick Dupre Award once. Um, you and class guy. Uh, yeah, 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 the, the class guy award. And he had Wayne already had his game face on. Um, the next morning, he, he came up to me and Rory just said, "Did I forget to say thank you? I'm really sorry." He said, like you, you said you, you said thank you, Wayne. You know, yeah. but just uh, yeah, just just the kind of guy he is. Um, you know, just um, I, you know, I remember mentioned Steve Mason before. You know, Steve Mason had a, uh, a going through a rough personal time, and and uh, you know, Simmons said, "Listen, you know, we're all his brothers. He can come out, come to any person in this room." And so I, I have nothing but immense respect for Wayne Simmons. Enjoyed every minute he was in Philadelphia, and still, you know, still is a guy that you pull for no matter what uniform he's wearing so that, yeah. that's a good choice too yeah and and the thing with him a little behind the scenes thing whenever wayne simmons was going down the tunnel to go on the ice he would bark oh oh <laughs> that, that was his thing when they were kind of high-fiving and getting everybody to go out on the ice whether it was warm-ups or you know for the next period or whatever it was now bill you know the last 20 years aren't obviously as decorated as the prior 20 years you know you look at the 0203 season till now the Flyers in those 20 seasons made the playoffs 12 times. They went to one cup final in 2010. They went to two conference finals in 04 and 08. 
and they lost in the first round in 2014, 2018, and 2016. And in that period, they had seven coaches. And when you compare that to the prior 20 years, 82-83 to 2002-2003, team had 15 playoff bursts, obviously a much smaller league at that time, not as many teams, three cup finals, 85-87 and 97 off the top of my head, three conference finals, five first-round losses, seven coaches in the last 20 years, 10 coaches in the prior 20 years. That shocked me a little bit. Yeah, well, they they went through that period where there was a lot of turnover. and A, a lot of one-and-dones in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, like Terry Simpson was a, was one year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bill Deneen was getting a little up in years, and he, he was taught from scouting to come back behind the bench and coach, and he did that for a relatively short period, an important period of time. That's when Lindros broke in the league. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so you know, I mean, you had, like, had a year as well, and Craig Ramsey. Yeah, he had less than a year. Cashman had less than a year. He, yeah. he stepped in and became assistant coach about three-quarters of the way through the year. Um and, you know, with uh, with Craig Ramsey's generally short tenure, too, that's because it's because Roger Nielsen took ill. Yeah. So, yeah. So a lot of these guys had short tenures. And then, the, you know, the, the, the longer tenure guys, too, Terry Murray, um, you know, had, had a Ken, Well, Ken Hitchcock, I guess, is I guess Ken Hitchcock could be yeah. within, within the current time period. He, he was he, in his, his first year was right after it. Yeah. In the second 20 yeah. years. Yeah. So. But um, uh, yeah, so so there there was a, there was there was there's a lot of turnover with the coaches during that period of time. But you know, there was the the five years out of the playoffs, which I guess would be the, the most akin to what's going on right now. But uh, on either side of that was the Keenan teams and the Legion of Doom years too. So yeah, uh, you, know, you weigh the two against each other in that time period, easily would, would come out ahead. But um, yeah, those. You know, but as you said too, it was, it was a different league then. Yeah, seven straight years from eighty to eighty three to eighty eight, eighty nine in the playoffs. Then five years out of the playoffs, and then they made it again the following eight seasons of that decade. Here's the interesting thing too, Bill. When you look at uh, the record of the last twenty years, if you go by points percentage, you kind of have to do it that way because overtime losses and and all of those things now. Uh, league scoring or the way they calculate points in the league is slightly different. But the Flyers were the last 20 years from uh, 0203 to now, 1,567 games and a points percentage of 0.552. That ranks 19th in the NHL. When you look at that team, you know, the 20 years prior from 82-83 all the way up through 0102, Flyers 1,590 games, 0.576 points percentage number one in the nhl right and um yeah and you, you could take it back you know if you take it back to when the flyers came in the league with the first expansion um now i don't know where they are now um and you kind of have to exclude the teams that only came into the league you know within the last five six seasons but uh, the flyers are still near the top of that list and if you take the time period just since they won their last cup at 75, they're still up near the top of the list. So, you know, number when, when you take, or number three, yeah. technically, because Vegas is ahead of them, but Vegas has only played 455. Well, Vegas is still games. a relatively young franchise. Yeah. yeah. So, so they're, they're still near the top of that list. But, uh, yeah, but obviously we're, you know, you get spoiled to winning. You get, you get used to being in contention. Um, 
some of those years when you know you have expectations of, of going deep in the playoffs. Some some of those years didn't quite play out, but you know, then you have then you have a couple surprise runs on occasion. Oh seven oh eight was a little bit of a surprise run that year to to the conference final. A because they were coming off the worst season in franchise history, and B because they had they didn't qualify for the playoffs so quite late in the season. I think it was a, the final weekend or or close to the final weekend of the season. Um, you know, and, and they kind of handed them by Montreal in the regular season, and then they take the hats out in five. So, you know, it's just um, funny how that plays out sometimes. But, I, you know, I, I think when you look at the last 20 years, there have been some great players, there have been some good teams, but it, they haven't been able to sustain it on the same basis. But you're also talking about the cap era. You're also talking mm-hmm. about you – know, you're talking about a lot of other factors too. Um, and – you know, other teams have had certain breaks go their way too, right? Uh, like uh, lottery Chicago. luck. Ch- Ch- well, Chicago, yeah. Yeah. And Chicago. the thing with Chicago, Chicago's done really well and on the front of that end of that time period, the three cups in six years. You know, when they started to get in a position like where they might be up against the cap or some guys might be getting older, you know, sometimes they took one step back for one season to take to move forward again a year after that. Um, that that was a that was a model that worked for them. Obviously they had really good coaching during that time from Glenville too. Um, so they had they had a lot of things going their way. But yeah, you know, they had they had breaks. When they when they acquired Patrick Sharp from the Flyers as an example, they didn't know they didn't know what they were getting. And it didn't happen right away either. They they were able to be they were able to be patient through, you know, through his first year in Chicago was nothing special, and then he took off his second year. So, you know, it's just uh, right place, right time. Uh, you get you get a guy when you need to change the scenery. You're able to get him at a, at a steal when you look at it in hindsight. You know, team, teams that have sustained success get, get some good luck along, along the way too. Uh, I've said this before, and I'm sure we'll say this again in future episodes. To win a Stanley Cup clearly takes good good design, but it also takes a little bit of good luck too. Yeah, Craig Berube's talked about that. You know, sometimes it one bounce here changes everything. Your team rallies around it. It could be a negative too that that galvanizes your group. Two players we didn't mention that I just wanted to mention because I had them in my kind of honorable mention list were uh, Mike Richards, just because of the way he played the game. I just think it was just a, such an honest way to attack the pro game of hockey and another guy that to me was just a pure entertainer got it too. And it's Scott Hartnell. Those two guys I wanted to mention as well. Are you ready for the uh, anomaly stat of the, of of the podcast bill? Do it. Here you go. The last 20 years power play over that 20 year period ranks higher in the NHL than the prior 20 year period. If you can believe it. And I'm not just talking about percentage versus percentage because we know there's much higher power play percentages. Now the flyers in, that that era of 1982-83 to 2001-2002 actually ranked in the NHL 14th on the power play at 19.2%. The last 20 years, and I know it's been a huge source of frustration for fans, the power play, the Flyers actually ranked 12th, 18.9%, but 12th in the NHL as compared to 14th. That's That stunned me a little bit as I dug inside that, the numbers. That's, surprising. Yeah, that's surprising to me. I never I never would have never guessed that. Um they did have that period of time for 
was three, four years in there when Joey Mullen was. was oh, he was uh, the power play doctor, play. man. And, and, and every year they'd be in the top five. Yeah. Even you know, some, some seasons went better, better than others. So that, that chunk of years have something to do with. But then again, the last few years have been just brutal, both in ranking and in, and in percentage. Uh, that that really really surprises me because when you're talking about that 20 year time period from the the 80s and the early 2000s, Tim Kerr, <laughs> you know, Kelly Acklin and Brian Propp and yeah. Lindros and and mm-hmm. you know Claire Renberg, all, all those all those guys, right? Desjardins. So that uh, that really that surprises me. Yeah, yeah, that's a stunning number. Well, it's always fun to go down memory lane. That's what we do as we're whittling down the last uh, days of summer before rookie camp which is going to be in just a couple of weeks i guess at this point and then followed by training camp preseason and another season great stuff as always bill always fun taking a trip down memory lane and great uh great uh selections for you for the the players both you like covering and you enjoyed watching as well everybody if you want to send in your feedback give us players so you can always do that tweet me or bill at bill melter or at jason mert you can send me an email jason.martinez at gmail.com as well send us dms whatever you like But everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you Wednesday. We'll come back with another brand new episode of Flyers Tale.